0: Cradleline Network. I am the law, and this is the thirty-second episode of Big Mac One. My name is Conrad. I'm so my friend Eli. And this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way to the Judge Dread Magazine. This episode, we're covering the magazine for June, July, and August 1993. That's volume two, issues 31 through 34. This episode, we're heading to England with Armitage, Brit Sit Brute, and Cal Have Justice, I guess Scotland too, um, as Anderson and Orlock fight some ancient aliens on Mars. And if you were to be along, with us, find the comics we're covering today and judge read the complete case files 19. Anderson the Sci-Files 2, and the Judge Dredd Magazine 304 and 352. How you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. All right. Ready for some, talk about some exciting action here. Always we ready guys. for exciting action. Definitely. Yeah, we got some one-off dreads. We got some silliness. We got <laughs> a lot of Brits. Well, actually, a couple self-contained stories this time that I think is pretty cool. Yeah. To sort of get in and get out with these guys, you know. Mm. No problem. Okay, here we go. Get stuck in with story one, Judge Dread. Uh, got this um, we got a couple of Dread stories. I just put them on one place. The first one is the Hottie House Siege. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Steve Brown, letter robot Tom Frame. <clears throat> so, um, at the Hottie House, which is a hot dog restaurant in Mega City One. A bunch of dudes right. with robes and guns burst in. This is a sect siege. Ah, oh, there's factional fighting and some, and it goes on among this cult, it's basically people fighting about whether it's okay to eat hot dogs during the siege and stuff like that. Gotta work out these religious differences.. Yeah. Also, people talk about what a siege exactly entails. So I mean, it's not a siege until the cops actually come and yell at us or something like that. Semantic. It's clear. What? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's clear that the leader of this sect has a few screws loose. Um, as they open fire on random passersby, soon the whole place is cordoned off, and Dread demands that they surrender. But you'll never take the sector thirty four twelve, even though they're actually in sector thirty three, and there's only eleven of them. Don't worry. <laughs> Dread's there with a lady judge named Perks and a fat judge named Lardaz. <laughs> and Lardas is hacked into the security tapes. We learned these guys are a breakaway Grudian sect, the Branch Moranians, who um, practice progressive lobotomy, burning out bits of their brain to honor Grud, because ignorance is bliss. And we learn their leader is David w- uh, w- uh, w- uh, Wakovitz. And basically all of this, Eli, I don't know if you're if you're aware, is a reference to the uh, Branch Davidian siege at Waco, Texas, which took place in February of 1993. Oh, wow. So it was a big deal at the time. Um, but so sort of like that Robbie King story we saw, this is pretty hot off the presses, like uh, jokes about what's going on in the newspaper kind of stuff, basically. Huh. Very interesting. it that makes a think- new take on it. What, can, can you say that again? I'm sorry. That gives me a new appreciation for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Branch Davidians didn't practice, like, <laughs> brain surgery. Right. But they did have, like, a siege that was, like, a whole big deal oh, and, like, a, you know, political right. thing at the time.
1: Yeah. And it makes this uh, makes this topical now. Now it's, like, exactly. it's part of history. I'm exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, like, Branch Moronian is, like, Branch Davidian like Wachovitz, like the sieges in Waco, Texas, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Dread asks for their demands, and while Wachovitz doesn't have any, Brother Milton comes in. He's got a beef with the sickness in our society that would allow them to take a place only hostage in the first place. Man, it's the system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, the news is contacting the hottie house, offering big money for their exclusive story. Dread orders them out, and... When they threaten the hostages, they realize they've already killed all the hostages. So they got to kill one of their own dudes. And as they then have a lot of difficulty – and so as they do that, they also have a lot of difficulty just explaining what it is they stand for, I guess. And it seems like, you know, if they just don't answer their demands, these guys will just kill themselves, like sort of execute themselves in the next couple hours. <laughs> Dreg won't stand for this kind of lawlessness, so instead goes to assault the hottie house – he tosses in some gas grenades and starts beating up the cultists. Brother Dave says ignorance is bliss, so Dread punches him. Here comes Nirvana. Mm. Dread orders a reporter on the phone to turn themselves in for taking part in a crime here, and the day is saved. Just another one in Mega City One, and man, these guys are dumb.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just a little rip from the headlines. Action here, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I felt extra nerdy on this one because, well, first I, I liked it. I liked that everything was kind of, um, uh, tongue in cheek. Uh, Lardass mm-hmm. was a, a Lardass. Perky was very perky. Yeah. Dread was very exactly. dreadful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, at some point he puts on, um, I felt like a nerd because there's a point where Dread is on his, uh, uh, motorcycle, his, uh, lawgiver, right? And that, or is that the gun? Master. Law master. Givers the gun, masters the bike. Got it. Uh, And he puts on his uh, respirator, but he just kind of puts a visor down. And I was like, he's supposed to pull the top part. It's supposed to be a badge. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I was like, uh, you know, inconsistent with the mythos. But, you know, I'll I'll let let it pass. So I've reached that point with Judge Dredd.
0: Oh, right. That's a rite of passage, buddy. That's the... (laughs) The right, a pastor being like, No, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's a big, big line to cross for sure. <laughs> well, well, welcome to the next stage. <laughs> All right, moving on. To our next dread story is the Al Capone story. through about John Wagner, art robot Jim Vickers, letting robot Tom Frame. First time we've seen Jim Vickers, the artist, social few, a few more times in the Meg and specials. And we learn that megacitizen Al Capone was born in the south side of Megacity 1 in the Frank Nitti block. And Frank Nitti, just so you know, was one of Al Capone's, the original Al Capone's top enforcers back in like Prohibition days in like the 30s or something like that. Al Capone, big crime boss in the old times. Um he's a nice peaceful kid much to the chagrin of his rough and tumble father especially in comparison to the hell beast kid herman schwartz next door al grows up to be a smart but reviled child well herman spends a lot of time in the juke cubes <laughs> to try to toughen al up his family moves to the joe bananas block in the north side of town and Joe Bananas is the uh, sort of the crime name of the gangster Joseph Bonanno. And the Schwartzes do the same under the mistaken impression that the block would be nice and peaceful. Oh, no. The boys become firm friends. Herman defending Al and Al doing Herman's homework. Al works in his father's junkyard, and his father's ashamed that young Al wants to study and become a lawyer. Why can't you be a delinquent thug like that, Herman yes. Schwartz? Herman's tough, but we see him going toe-to-toe with Judge Dredd and losing, because he's not that tough. Right, no one Indeed. is. Yeah, exactly. And it seems that that, he was only, that uh, Dredd was only in the area because he's there to deliver a... Good citizen, a good citizenship award to Al Capone. Like, like we, I meant to give you this, but this kid pulled a gun on me on the way there, so I had to arrest him too. For a second, he offers um, Al a chance to become a lawyer or 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 become a judge, I should say. But then he deems him to be too much of a wuss to be a judge. You're too good. Later, college student um Al attends a dance with his nice girlfriend and meets Herman working as a bouncer at the dance. Al gets beaten up and Herman then takes those attackers out back and guns them down. And all this happened on February 14th, which is, of course, St. Valentine's Day. And there's a famous like massacre, like gangland killing that's called the St. D- uh, Valentine's Day Massacre as well. So sort of, you know, whatever, these little crossovers, I guess. Dredd's on the scene once again, and he and Herman fight. But again, Herman's not that tough and gets 12 years in the cubes. <clears throat> 12 years later, Al is a lawyer in the Michael Milken block. And this is a little bit of a spoiler, I guess, because Michael Milken was a financier who went to jail for selling junk bonds. Mm. But suddenly, Herman's appears again on the run from Dredd once more. Dredd guns Herman down. And he dies outside Al's front door, lamenting his old name. Oh, I wish I wasn't Herman Schwartz. I wish I had a crime name like yours, Al. Al reveals that Herman actually was Al Capone. The kids were switched at birth. But that doesn't matter because Dredd is actually here for Al Capone, arresting him for tax evasion. Because again, in the past, the real Al Capone was arrested for tax evasion, and they couldn't get him on gangster charges. And so once more, Al Capone is in jail for taxes, as it should be. Dun dun dun.
1: <laughs> that was that's a fun one.
0: Yeah, this is some. Fun, I don't know. I like I like a story where Dred's kind of a minor character. I guess so this right. is just very much like. A, a pair of mega citizens having weird lives, right. and dread popping in every now and then to just beat the shit like, out you know, of some somebody. Arrest there. one, or, right. arrest one, or both of them. Right. Yeah.
1: I, was, I love how the guy kept getting beat up, but every time he sees dread, he's like, "This time for sure, I'm going to beat him." And it's not not even close. Like he wasn't even like you scratch no, the guy. Just,
0: yeah, wins instantly for <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I also like them. I like the. Uh, going through people's entire lives. Like, they were babies, and all the way yeah. until, you know, they're uh, adults. I guess,
0: and I guess dread has been on the force for that long, so he does have a couple, like, <laughs> or, no, probably a, a fair amount of, like, cra- of cradle-to-grave perps, or whatever. Mm. You
2: know? <laughs> wow, yeah. So,
0: yeah. So, next dread story, Bagging the Bogwan, the script robot John Wagner, I wrote about David Milgate, I about Tom Frame, a man named Mr. Deadeye gets let into a hotel room by a robot bellhop and starts setting up a rifle and tripod. Meanwhile, reporter Nirvana O. Kravitz is at the Tomb of the Unknown Citizen, which is this, like, statue that's like a stick figure being crushed by a judge's boot, which I think is pretty excellent. And we see crowds lining the street for the arrival of Bogwan up for Majimi leader of the cult of Taoism, who's coming to do a ritual of some sort. It's a secret. The judges are out and forced to protect him as we see another sniper setting up on a nearby roof. And we learn that the Organization of Extremist City-States has placed a $50 million, or credit, I should say, bounty on Bhagwan, on the Bhagwan. The Bhagwan shuttle has just landed. And the man himself, this ultra-thin guy in glasses and a loincloth, is to be escorted by our man Dredd to this um, shrine. Bagwan be- bends to kiss the tarmac and in doing so narrowly avoids getting hit by an assassin's bullet. Dredd takes the assassin out, loads the holy man and his two assistants onto a nearby match a tank to get this over with. He calls the chief, asking that this be called off, but it's um, but doing so would be terrible PR and um, even though the Bagwan doesn't want people to be hurt because of him either, but it's out of our hands. We got to keep it going. Judges are arresting people at the monument as a boy genius ready some homing missiles, and an older couple prepares to sacrifice themselves the plastic knife to, to stab the Bagwan. <laughs> he arrives as ju- as we see judges clotheslining a would-be attacker who's got a mace and dreads taking out various snipers and stuff like that, Just constantly under threat here we see the guy on the rooftop gets blasted the elderly couple pulls their knife to stab him and dread just sort of grab like get out of here this isn't even really a threat you jerks um and the kid gets his missiles off but dread blocks one with one of those like food domes from a fancy restaurant that they like hide, hide the food under you know and then he also smushes an ant that was in the Bogwan's way because he doesn't want to hurt like even a single insect whatever Mr. Deadeye manages to hit, m- m- shoots from a hotel room and shoots Dred's knee, but gets exploded by a hover wagon for his troubles. <laughs> now it's finally time for the Bogwan's watering ceremony as Dredd is being bandaged up. And it's j- the whole thing's just watering a daisy on this memorial. Oh, it's not very, like, amazing at all. It's a pretty <laughs> lame ceremony. And because of this, Dred gets tossed into an H-Wagon. And that's all she wrote. Get out of here before I kill you myself. <laughs> but this was a good, I, I don't know, I like, this was a fun kind of madcap, like, Judge Dredd story, I guess. Right. Like, I kind of like M- Mill Gates, um, like, how, just how he drew all these different mega citizens and their different looks and, like, you know, motivations built in and stuff like that. <sighs> that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. No, uh, yeah, it has a lot of um energy color to it. Um mm-hmm. uh so yeah, the art started, it's style is very funny. It's very um it's, what is it? I don't know what era it would be, but it reminds me a lot of like graffiti street art type of thing.
2: Mm. Um, yeah, it's got kind of, yeah, it could kind
1: of be a on that for sure, right. I agree. But I did like um I just like how annoyed Dredd was the whole time. Just, you know, hey, walk this guy from here to there. Everyone tries to kill him. And it's one of those things where Fair. um he would wasn't gonna die anyway. If Dredd wasn't there this guy would have just somehow miraculously survived all these assassination assassination attempts. Uh, mm-hmm. but,
0: yeah, no, he kept because he kept because the one did keep just sort of accidentally avoiding getting killed several times. Right. You're yeah. right.
1: Yeah, that, that's his power. Uh, yeah, he, definitely. So, it was just a mechanism for that uh, for that power. Yeah,
0: so right. That, Chosen by fate, whatever. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so I, I love I love when they show a higher power in Judge Dredd it's always fun absolutely
0: yeah grud himself
1: right and I also and, like Dread losing a knee that's funny
0: it's crazy it did take some damage yeah mm-hmm. rare mm-hmm. rare time or no I guess Dredd gets hit actually he, he gets hurt a fair amount I mm-hmm. guess but mm-hmm. comes back every time mm-hmm. tougher and angrier <laughs> <laughs> and that takes us to our final Dread story basic Dread story I guess which is a Slick Dickens Dressed to Kill Part 1 mm-hmm. script robot John Wagner art robot Joustis letting robot Tom Frame so Eli, we last saw Slick Dickens get arrested by Judge Dredd in Prague 505 of 2018, which was back in 1987. And there's a twist here, which I'm not going to tell you right now, but I, I assume we'll see next episode. <laughs> so you can be surprised by it. I think they're assuming also that not a lot of people remember this one-off Dread story from six years ago. <laughs> So Slick Dickens is now in ISO block eight, where he's gotten work in the prison kitchen and used that position to feed a prisoner food that would combine in a stomach into a bomb. And now he's exploding. An alert goes up and draws all the judges away to the site of the explosion. And so Slick Dickens is free to use a stolen kitchen laser to cut through the window of his cell. He slides out the, I, I, the uh, iso block and flies into the night on the wings of a bat glider sewn together from clothing scraps. The judges see he's gone but can't see how. Ooh, that damn slick Dickens! He's so cool. <sighs> Dickens back glides into the night, wondering what his lost love Leslie was doing now. And in the city, we see dread. Punching out jerks in a bar, as people call him a bully, and he sends him to the Cubes because of it. Aw, he's such a tyrant! Suddenly, though, he gets a report of Dickens' escape and leaves the bar, and everybody saw that when he heard the news, the color drained from his face, because he's afraid of Slick Dickens. (laughs) Dredd drives into the night, knowing that the master criminal and the lawman must once more meet, and only one of them will survive probably slick Dickens Dickens himself lands in a backlot tosses his glider revealing an ISO cube uniform that has been tailored to also be a sequin tuxedo <laughs> he's got a date with judge dread and he's dressed to kill <laughs> next time I'm a judge not a fashion victim
1: <laughs> that's fun yeah I really like that uh as I said I don't it seems like there's some backstory going on here that I'm missing or is going to be shown in the future.
0: But I like oh, the it'll be revealed dickens. next episode. I'm going to assume
1: right. But I like it. I also like. Uh, I also like the color. The uh, the colors used for this one very subdued. Mm-hmm. I also like Judge Red punching a guy in the face who has a bunch of piercings all over his face for some reason. That makes yeah. it hurt extra in my in my
0: heart. That's why you gotta wear those gloves, you know? But yeah, it would hurt You would hurt the person being punched. Right, for sure.
1: Exactly, <laughs> right. It's just extra things yeah. for the fist to get caught onto.
0: <laughs> yeah, I really like the uh, the narration in this one. It's sort of told from like, if not Dickens' own perception, then a very friendly narrator to Slick Dickens, basically. Mm. and <laughs> has a very like, noir feel, you know, like, yeah. Mm. In the in into the dark vastness of the mega city night, you know that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Right?
1: No, that's very fun. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this one goes.
0: I hopefully I'm hoping yeah. it's a long
1: one because it has me intrigued.
0: We'll we'll we'll, we'll finish it up next episode, you know. But mm-hmm. it's just a fun little thing here. All right. Um, and hey, speaking of judges in weird situations, Eli. Ooh. Or, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it, Hey, it's always judges true. Who've had the, all the color drained from their face because <laughs> oh, of the radiation, Eli? I like that. That's stronger. <laughs> Let's go to story two. Calhab Justice. <laughs> Script robot Jim Alexander, art robot lol, lettering robots Annie Parkhouse. <laughs> Calhab Justice is back, Eli. <laughs> we saw it briefly in the Mega Special. um which we just covered on the show, along with this new artist, Lal. He's a pretty divisive artist, I'd say, his art style, and um, a big change from the previous artist for this story, John Ridgway. He's just listed as LOL, and he's actually kind of mysterious, it feels like. There aren't a lot of, like, places online where I've managed to figure out, like, what is what his name is or what his deal is, right. you know, and I, as I'm sure you can imagine, LOL in Mother Modern Internet, it's difficult to Google. Right. right. Yes. I did, however, ask um, at this time, um, Dave, Dave Bishop, who is who was the editor of the magazine as we were as we're talking about it now. So you know, he would have had to pay strip. He would have been paying her and stuff, so he would have had to use his real name mm. and. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Mr. Bishop says that his name was probably Lawrence Hutching or Hutchings and possibly based out of, uh, Bristol in England, no, but I don't know. No. But so someone named Lawrence who has shortened their name to law and then bring and uses that as their, as their pen name, presumably in 1993, not realized that it would also become <laughs> internet shorthand and things like I that. See. You know, who can, who can imagine such a thing, right. you know,
1: that is funny. and I, I, I love you. Leaving no st- stone unturned. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not letting not know, know pass. This
0: information. The people right. gotta know, Eli. Right. They gotta know this stuff. <laughs> um, But yeah, so we're in Calhab, Dreadworld, Scotland, and tough judge Ed McBrain and his partner Buchan are questioning a spike headed mutant dude, throwing him up the stairs to make him talk. As McBrain keeps calling Buchan Hen, and she doesn't like it. Later at the chief inspector's office, McBrain is shocked to find a fancy Brit-sit judge, Dupree, just standing there, fencing Sabre in hand. And the chief inspector explains there's a terrorist attack coming at the Dunray nuclear complex, and he wants everybody, including Dupre, Dupree, down there to stop it. I should say Dunray is a real-life nuclear power plant and, like, a waste site and stuff in Scotland, but apparently... Now in Calhav, it's just sort of a dumping ground for Pickers. the massive uh, – yeah, for the massive stocks of nuclear waste that Calhav is now the home of. They've got their own security forces, but the judges are still heading over there to set up shop with the big guns. Oh. They burst into the facility and scare the guards on duty and set up patrolling as do Bree and McBrain trade barbs about one being soft and the other one being uncouth. <laughs> When suddenly, a huge ship appears on the horizon. Oh, and it drops a bunch of cyborg skeleton soldiers on the base. Oh, no. The glow of the facility covers 15 miles. And apparently, once you go in, you don't go out because of all the, nu- the uh, radiation. As McBrain and the others start blowing away these skeleton soldiers, they're cybernators. <laughs> we see a judge using a uh, ground-to-air thing and firing missiles at the cybernator mothership, blowing it up. Meanwhile, a pair of bald dudes are making their way into the facility, killing guards and talking weirdly as they go. Outside, the battle rages as McBrain gets a call for assistance and snags Buchan and Dupree Dupree to come help out. Elsewhere, in the Clyde Estuary in Scotland, the chief inspector is looking at a dead body. The dead body of Judge Dupree! But then who's in the nuclear facility with McBrain? (laughs) At that facility, Dupree's put on a rad suit. Cal-hab, just, Calhab judges don't need to wear them because of all the natural radioactivity in Scotland. Oh, okay, okay. And they head in, Yeah. but they find those baddies got there before them. And Dupree then pulls a gun on the other judges because it's the end of the road for them, Calhab, Britsit, and the rest of the civilized world. Oh no. <laughs> Dupree reveals himself as a guy working for a South American conglomerate. They're trying to take CalHab's place as top nuclear waste disposal area. To do so, they'll have to blow up this waste site, and that's kind of rough because it's going to, you know, kill out the world, right. basically. Yeah. Bad times. <laughs> Luckily, though, these judges are pretty tough, so they just start fighting. They don't care about anything. <laughs> brain takes out one terrorist with his sword and – Bukin drops a smoke bomb and headbutts another, a Glasgow kiss, as they say now. Uh, Dupree sees it's been rumbled and goes to run, and McBrain pursues, leaving Buchan to force the surviving terrorist to defuse the bomb that's been set. Uh, McBrain follows Dupree deep into the reactor core, where Dupree sets another bomb. And the two of them have a sword fight, but the extreme radiation of the sword, Oh, so the extreme radiation of the core swiftly causes Dupree to basically dissolve into radioactive bones right in front of McBrain. (laughs) He deactivates the bomb and then passes out. Later we see the chief inspector meeting with Buchan over an oxygen tank that has a bald McBrain inside. He's comatose from extreme radiation but soon comes to and says he'll be back to busting perps once his beard grows back. And that's the end for now of CalHab Justice. It'll be back right at the end of 1993.
1: No, I didn't realize all the radiation mythos around
0: CalHab. Like. No, it's a big – it's a weirdly a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Like right. <laughs> there was that – I don't know if you remember in the first story, there were like a bunch of like giant mutant Venus fly traps that they had mm-hmm. to like move through. I remember that, yeah. And then there was like this like uh, like a CalHab whiskey – Right. If you drank it. It like aged you a hundred years or something. So radioactive.
1: Got it. So it's, it's, a,
0: it's an undercurrent in there, along with like these judges have kilts and accents. You right.
1: Know. <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like almost like their power is like, oh hey, just so you know, we're all radioactive. Yeah. We just yeah,
0: also we're radioactive. Right. FYI.
1: Right. This can't kill us. We 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 kill ourselves more than this stuff can. So it's just like yeah, yeah. made a tougher stuff. We-
0: yeah, definitely, it's weird. I don't know. What do you think of um, of of Lowell's art style here?
1: Now, as I, I've uh, talked about being a fan of black and white, and I do like mm. it, um, there are some areas um, that are a little too uh, like uh, sketchy for me, like um, mm-hmm. uh, where I end up losing some of the legibility. That's always my big yeah. thing. Is I need to, you know, it has to be legible. I have to be able to see what's going on, who's talking, where is that, where are they? Um, and mm-hmm. just due to the sketchy style, some of that is hard to identify
0: yeah, yeah i would I would agree that like legibility is a problem mm-hmm. in these in these stories of just figuring out. Whoever, you know, who's who, where they are in relation to each other, right. what's going on, right. and stuff
1: like that. Yeah, especially with all the action that goes on. The, there's times yeah. I'm like, wait, did they switch? Is that that person? Did they change scenes?
0: Yeah, and, and I think there are times where that can be cool, where you kind of don't know what's going on mm-hmm. exactly. You just kind of got a sense of the action and right, stuff. Right. <laughs> but I think when, it, when it's too pervasive, it just becomes confusing, and mm-hmm. that that's not as good, I Yeah, think. yeah.
1: So I, I think it, you need a, a master negative space in order to really uh, bring this style uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to its full potential, but as I, said, I think it's a it's a great start. And you know, um, I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to see more of this artist. I'm wondering if their yeah. if their next piece they're going to uh, lean further into their art style or uh, what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, let's um, keep an eye out for it. I I know uh, Law will be back for the next cow. Have justice.
2: So. Nice, perfect.
0: See how they're doing them. <laughs> All right. Now let's stay, let's move a little further south from Calhab down to uh to Brit itself with story three, Britzit Brute. Scripture about Robbie Morrison, art about Nick Percival, letting about Ellie Deville. New story, new thrill here. Um, and I should say that apparently originally this story was called Demolition Man. <laughs> but the name was changed because of the forthcoming uh Sylvester Stallone movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's funny. Um, I I want to like the art for Sit brute, mm-hmm. but I think we've sort of come to a problem that's often mentioned where just with these painted pages things get kind of muddy, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Like things just become this sort of like Mix of browns or something like that that Mm -hmm. make it a little hard to to make things out and it becomes very drab. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of airbrush and uh, colors, and they try to make everything dark and mysterious and foreboding. And then you kind of like you lose a lot of depth. There's not like everything just looks flat. It doesn't look like there's Mm. a foreground, mid ground, background. It just all looks like it's all on a wall painted. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point for sure. Awesome, man. You know, I'm trying to figure out these terms and things pretty <laughs> <laughs> yeah So at the Britsit financial center, the current the or financial sector, the currency speculators have moved on to more tangible forms of combat beyond just financial stuff. As Dr- Judge Arthur C- Conan Newt, the Britsit brute, arrives on the scene. His uniform has neither sleeves nor an undershirt. He's very cool. The narration boxes are a sort of psych profile of Newt, but they're clearly being given under physical duress Mm -hmm. saying, and it says it like, oh, yes, he's so calm and well-balanced. Please don't hurt me. Mm -hmm. And also the last surviving member of the search and attack squad of Britsit, the SAS, and in real life, the SAS or Special Air Service, is like this branch of the British military that's like the commandos and stuff like that, like the Green Berets or Delta Force or whatever. Newt blows his way through the financial sector, and then we see um, his new boss, Judge Major, based on the uh, current – Prime Minister of England, John Major, who's chewing Newt out for his over-the-top antics. He's very cop-on-the-edge, like, you know, I got the mayor, the DA, and the newspapers up my ass about you, Newt. You can't blow up the whole financial sector. I get results. (laughs) And now he's got a new mission, bodyguard. It seems he's to guard the – he's theoretically supposed to guard the personality computer of deceased industrialist – Hugo Bastard. Um, And when he arrives, there's actually some dead bodies on the site that a coroner, Mary is examining. That's Mary Alessian and Armitage and stuff. Newton meets the master of the house, this sort of computer slash corpse thing, and then sees his actual charge that he'll be bodyguarding. Hugo Bastard's young daughter, Virginia, and she's just a little girl. Oh, it's a classic tough guy, kid, mismatch kind of situation, Eli. It's a a tooth fairy or a suburban commando or something like that. (laughs) So the getaway driver on the previous attack on Bastard is being violently interrogated by a tough-looking bald lady. She's going after the Bastard kid as well, although um, along with the super buff crime lord, Lord Crippen, last of the gentlemen criminals. And it seems this lady used to be in the SAS along with Newt, and they have a sordid past. She then spends some time sort of waxing on about how tough Newt is as he's forced to demean himself while babysitting this girl, Virginia. He soon grows weary of this and kills her pet poodle. And later, Newt's in a fancy dress uniform at the dog funeral and then heads out to donate some toys to the med center in Virginia's hot pink but super slow uh, car. Newt is dropping so something. I think is really funny is that Newt's dropping some really insane like contractions as he talks. Like where he says, like I couldn't have taken that, mm-hmm. or the kids olive, or something mm-hmm. like that. These these contractions. There's like two apostrophes in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty fun. Right, right. <laughs> anyway, still in normal informal gear with minimal weapons. Um, this car comes under attack from that bald lady we saw before, Patrice. And it's a bad scene. Newt has barely anything to defend himself with, and Patrice taunts his good looks, which he's very sensitive about.
2: <laughs>
0: it seems she's a, form, a former SAS member as well, and when she left, she became a top supermodel. And But while there's plenty of backstabbing in the fashion world, Eli, she prefers the literal kind of backstabbing. <laughs> Dabbing people in the back. Later, it looks like the perps grabbed the girl and are holding her hostage, so a newly rearmed newt is going after them, despite having been shot in the head and stuff like that. It's just flesh wound. He's fine. Right, right. He gets in this cool plane and goes flying into Lord Crippen's base, which is this old disused giant church using one of Virginia's poodles, uh, um, surviving poodles, as a decoy, though it doesn't last long, and then blasting his way through a stained glass window, which means that for the rest of the story, he's like covered in glass, mm. shards in his body and stuff. Um, and he calls out Patrice, Crippen, the gentleman thief, prepares to show down with Newt, but the SAS man just shoots him in the face, Indiana Jones style. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then... Patrice prepares to escape as, Newt, as Newt's ship begins to self destruct. Both Newt and Patrice jump out of the window of the church just in time as it explodes behind them, you know, as you do, not looking backwards, <laughs> and land in the back of a moving train um, where they prepare to fight. But then, like, Lieutenant Major shows up and allows Patrice, cause the distraction that allows Patrice to toss Virginia off the side of the plane or off the side of the train and she escapes and like, you know, Newt barely saves her and gets chewed out by a major for, you know, whatever failing in his, in some of his charge and having various, just, you know, whatever he blew up a church. He's in trouble. (laughs) And later both to make up for his indiscretions and to heal from his various wounds. He's, um, ends the story being nursed back to health in the toy strewn bed of Virginia. Oh, what a revolting development! <laughs> and that's the end of Brits' for now. He'll return in summer of
1: nineteen ninety-four. Mm. Fun. I mean, uh, uh, you gotta love those uh, badass babysitters. That's always the
0: yeah. Uh, thing. I mean, it's very much the uh, like this this trope of yeah, like let's create a tough guy, but then oh, he's, he's too tough. so We gotta give him. <laughs> Like a, a sidekick that's, right. you know, a kid or a dog or a lady or something mm. like that. Right, See right. how he deals with it. Mm. You know, it's sort of this classic, these classic tropes. Right. But,
1: uh, yeah, I don't feel any development on his end, though. I don't feel like he learned to love. He's in touch with the sensitive side at all. That's not supposed to be the part of it. It's also like yeah. be begrudging, but then kind of like, oh, you're all right, kid. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I was, I was here to protect you, but in the end, right. You kids protected me, right. you know, yeah. the real toughness was the friends we made along the way, that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> right. But yeah, it seems like it's more just like, I like drawing explosions and blood. So I'm going to, yeah, know, that, that's most of it. I guess I got to stop yeah. thinking about it as, um, uh, Uh, In the manga world, there tends to be a lot of uh, artists that uh, are the writers. Like, it's the whole thing's created by Mm. one person. But I've got to remember that in these, they're like, there's a writer and then an artist. So just because an artist likes to draw a certain thing, if the writer didn't make it happen, then they probably won't. So... I got to understand it's more of a partnership.
0: Work it out. I feel like usually there's a meeting of them. I feel like if you're getting into writing Judge Dredd, you're also interested in stories with violence and explosions. Right, you know? right. Like, <laughs> right. It's a good, good point. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a decent Venn diagram. Like, you know, the overlap of two circles there, you know. Right. <laughs> but like I say, If we're going to talk about artists and their willingness to draw violence and stuff like that, let's get a little meta and talk about Covers, editorials, and dreadlines. All this non-story stuff from these issues. So, issue 31, very plain cover here with a skinny-legged dread standing in front of some lightning as the cover mentions. That this ma- that the magazine won Best Ongoing Publications at the UK Comic Art Awards for the second time in a row as three new stories begin. The editorial also brings this up and the text credit says, A bolt from the blue. There's only a single page of Dreadlines now, one column enumerating the Comic Art Award wins, and both positive and so-so reviews of the recent uh, reboot issue of issue 27. Next, issue 32, In Her Minds, Mm -hmm. PSI. (laughs) Mark Wilkinson draws an extremely trippy and or melty Anderson cover. The editorial explains how the comic works and announces no Dreadlines this issue. The credit text warns us: "Don't dilly dolly like artist Salvador Dali and the Melty Clocks and Melty Anderson." You see what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Issue thirty-three: Dread, a bunch of weird bodies appear in this cover by Chris Hall. Cult killer carnage. The editorial confirms um, what we what we'll see in two thousand AD in the Prague's next in our next Space Spinner episode which is that Sylvester Stallone has signed on to do a Judge Dredd movie and production begins soon. Oh, no.
2: <laughs> the
0: editorial says it will be out on Christmas 94, but it will actually be summer 95 and more on the more information developments about this film as it grows closer. The credit tech says, don't dread it, be it. There's another single page red lines this time with, Devlin Waugh contest winners on one side, and a letter from artist John H- heavy metal dread artist John Hinklinton responding to recent complaints about violence in the comic, accompanied by a series of shirtless, like photo booth shots of him, like with a mysterious lady's hand as well. I'm just saying, I don't know. Um, from his letter, I think his points about violence building a visceral tension in an action story are stronger points than his what about ism for like atrocities in the former yugoslavia or animal rights stuff or something like that like i don't know yeah. like i think we can sort of talk about comic content and feel bad about war crimes i guess
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah <laughs> but i do appreciate that he um also at the end of the letter sort of provides like phone numbers and addresses for both Amnesty International and uh, the Animal Aid Charity mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Doing the work. Doing the work. That's fine. Put it on both sides. And finally, issue 34, the end for Anderson. A splattered Psy Division badge is our covered here by is our cover here by Kev Walker, the La Placa Rifa. The editorial mentions that Anderson is nine pages long this issue, super long, and brags about a returning three-page redlines. The credit text says, we don't need no stinking badges. Uh, mid-issue, there's an excerpt from the upcoming Judge Dredd novel called The Savage Amusement, and I guess I do have to read those. They're all on Amazon, Eli, mm-hmm. but um, I don't want to read books. Oh, uh, God. All right, there's no um, pictures at all. all right. I got I, I won't do it on this show. I'll find a way to present them. I don't know. <laughs> also, there's a warning that the price of the magazine will be going up soon. So get your subscriptions now to lock in that lower price. There's also an ad for the uh, news new, new story Shimura, Shimura, um, which we'll see next episode. It's going to be about uh, a, a Hondo city, a Japanese judge in the pages of the magazine. Pretty excited for that one. Dreadlines has several letters expressing concern about Sylvester Stallone and the Dread movie. And then the violence debate rages on. A lot of people are making kind of similar points over and over again about different kinds of violence being in comics and stuff like that. And, you know, the role violence plays in narratives and things. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. So makes what well, I think is a pretty good point that modern Dread is a lot quicker to sort of. Resolve things with violence. Like he's more quick. He's more. He's quicker to just sort of shoot somebody in the face, basically. Mm. And then the comic is more likely to show, to go that face shooting graph like in, in, in a graphic manner than they might have in the past. Mm. I guess there's been so there has been some changes, sort of materially in, in, in what we're seeing. Mm. Story and uh, with that, Eli, with these reports of violence and weird and weirdness, etc. Makes you long for the good old days. Mm -hmm. You know, we fought things differently. (laughs) And speaking of the past. (sighs) Nail it. I don't know. I'll give it a C. You passed. passed. No, I passed. I'm sorry. Let's go to Story for Armitage. Scripture by David Stone, art robot Charles uh, Charles Adlard, letter robot Gordon Robson. So this is another one of these Armitage flashback stories, Eli, Mm -hmm. all by Charlie Adler, but sort of started with a present day color frame story and then a black and white flashback story, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and the frame one for the story is in 2116, which is actually two years after the last full Armitage story with judgment day in between and zombies and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, we see a shadowy figure in a glowing pyramid at a place called Zipco. Being given some paper files from the old days of Britsit, while um, and we see pictures on them of both Inspector Armitage and a young man wearing a headband who turns out to be very young Armitage. <laughs> and then we flash back to black and white, and it's the year twenty eighty, still the distant future, which is seven years earlier than our previous Armitage flashback and 36 years from the present day in the comic. Every decade,
1: he just gets into some stuff.
0: He's doing some stuff. You know, we're seeing, seeing how it goes, for sure. In this period of civil wars broken out in England with the emergency military government trying to wipe out opposition, and Armitage is fighting back against it in the LLA, the London Liberation Army. Um, we see... Um, Armitage and his uh, like resistance cell shooting up some dudes on the street and Armitage and Leora who is that lady from the previous Armitage flashback that got killed by that uh, Draco some whatever San guy she, she got killed by him in the, in the medium future yeah, Eli, in right. 2087 but in 2080 she's still just she's younger and helping Armitage out yeah. in this resistance Let, stuff. Let's hope they develop um, her character a little more. I guess, yeah, we're seeing a little bit more of a backstory, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. And th- those two and their buddy, Miko, were taking part in this LLA attack, and then they uh, spread out from their, um, from their base in an apartment building, leaving the residents that normally live there tied up inside, and then split up in the city, dodging patrols as uh, Leora ditches the gun that was used in their attack. They eventually ride, uh, meet up back at a rendezvous point on Cat Street, All is well, and they prepare to head to a safe house when suddenly the place is shot up by machine gun fire and Miko is killed. Oh, geez. We barely knew you. Um, Armitage and Leora then run, making their way into a nearby sewer, hiding under the water to escape the uh, government patrol. It seems they've been identified and have to run. Later, we see they're at a camp where Armitage has found some guns and fake IDs, And his fake ID has the name Armitage on it. We don't learn what his real name Mm -hmm. is. And Armitage is the name he assumed at this point as part of the uh, Civil War fighting. Leora cries over the death of Miko, and soon the pair are making their way to the checkpoint to escape the city. It's the north checkpoint, which is the weakest of the checkpoints, and the pair go as far in as they can and then just start shooting their way out. And it seems to be working as they make their way to a, like, you know, futuristic helicopter kind of thing and fly off into the night. (laughs) Hours later, they're still flying as Armitage is still trying to figure out how to land the damn thing. But that's soon sorted out as they're targeted and hit by a a ground-to-air missile. They crash into some ruins and Armitage hits his head, passing out. It comes to a few days later, and he and Lior are in custody of a bunch of judges! Whoa! Though their uniforms are still very simple and far less ornate than modern ones. These are like proto-early judges, Eli, mm-hmm. still taking the country over. Um, they head out into the wastelands, the death zone, Birmingham. <laughs> Just a, a city in England is sort of, a, I don't know, it's like a joke. I Like, you know, we're mm-hmm. heading out into the death zone, Portland, or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. <laughs> right. So. so these, yeah, I don't know. These judges are part of a scouting party into the wastes and haven't found a single sign of life. Armitage vomits at the sight of all this death and destruction when suddenly a giant factory on massive treads appears and weird mutant zombies start pouring out. They're being swarmed when suddenly a man with angel wings made of metal comes floating out. Angel He's an angel of the Lord that smells some sinners. And we've seen this guy before, I guess. He was in that weird sewer base Ooh. during the influential circles story, I guess, like in sort of the, the most recent, like, color Armitage story. We saw this guy in, like, some vignettes, but it didn't really affect the larger story, yeah, I guess. Yeah, i have to go back and check that out. Yeah, just some weird religion talking dude with metal wings, I guess. <laughs> um, the angels start slaughtering the judges then grabs Liora and a lady judge for some evil purpose. Mm -hmm. Armitage grabs a gun and goes after her, following them into some kind of gigantic smoke belching factory in the middle of a huge crater. So the angel addresses a huge group of his mutants. He calls himself the Angel Gabriel and wonders if his captives are worthy of entering the kingdom of heaven on earth. Alona and a female judge are tied in manacles with hoods over their head and taken away as Armitage diehards his way through the factory slash temple. He likes dieharding. That's like his main thing. Absolutely. <laughs> He's done some lethal weaponing as well. But right. definitely his preferred thing is to sort of move through these enemy bases. Absolutely. The angel has taken the ladies to his inner sanctum, where he makes it pretty clear they're about to be in the business of giving birth to a bunch of uh, mutants for him, basically. Armitage appears with a gun as Ilona unlocks her cuffs, and he tosses her a weapon. So now the two of them are like, oh, i going to start shooting up shooting up the place. They open fire. They hit the mutants and shoot the angel, who gets shot in the eye specifically, and then go to run. They make their way out of this base, passing Horrifying abominations in the tunnels and onto the death streets around them. They run for hours to the ends of the death zone where they rest. And Armitage cooks up some at-home napalm just because he's kind of got a feeling. I guess <laughs> that's what I do when I'm when I have a weird feeling. Eli, just some home-cooked <laughs> napalm just in case, you know. <laughs> um, and but although you know, I guess I can't fault Armitage too much because he's right. And mm-hmm. then they get attacked by this art by a, by by Gabriel the yeah, Angel guy. The
1: difference between you and Armitage, yeah. He fa- he follows that Seriously. instinct to just make napalm and then
0: Absolutely. It works. Yeah, definitely. I would have been killed. Right. Uh, <laughs> um Armitage throws the napalm at the angel and shoots it with tracer bullets, which ignite Gabriel. And so they sort of leave him for dead, basically. And then spend the next week or so slogging back to judge controlled zones. At the refugee camp, the judges off, uh, offer to recruit Armitage, letting just his new name, you know, let him use this fake name and start fresh, basically. Like, we don't care who you used to be. Now you can be Armitage. You can be a judge. And that's fine. Um, yeah. yeah. Armitage, in the end, agrees to go with the judges, hoping he doesn't regret it. And then back in the present, the corporate guy is reading all this and decides to slowly try to do something with armitage but it's not really clear like what i guess
2: mm-hmm.
0: but with his plans in place there's one last detail and that shooting the guy that gave him this information mm-hmm. oh no you can't trust these rich people
2: mm-hmm.
0: the corporate guy then turns to someone named smith and even the names and quotes so it's probably not their mm-hmm. real name mm-hmm. and it's this extremely thin person with this like blonde mop top and huge sunglasses and tight black suit. Smith says Janice will go overt in six months. And I don't know what that means, but I guess we'll find out about it eventually when Armitage returns in the fall of
2: 1994.
1: Mm. City of death. Which sounds awesome title. I mean, I got to give it to him. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Better than city of stars. Certainly. Right. Uh, sure. <laughs> fun story i feel like um i don't know it's either it's always the same it's always that genre of film it's just like if we want that genre of cop against an army with james bond type you know it's just it's a bunch of tropes yeah. kind of together but it's fun it still happens That's in no an way. interesting fun way it just never surprises me I, but I guess you, you don't get right. in those movies to be surprised. You're like, I want that same yeah. story, different actor.
0: Yeah, I see this is more like like a post apocalyptic action thing than a cop thing specifically. Mm-hmm. But right. I definitely also know exactly what you mean. <laughs> like, like Armitage is a lot of tropes all at once for mm-hmm. sure. And so I, th- I think it really comes down to how much you like those tropes or right. don't like them. Yeah, you
1: know? yeah. I just want them to like lose a leg or something. You know, some sort of because that's what I always want those things that never happen. Like I remember, I was watching a mm. uh, Batman. Uh, I forgot which one, but there was one where um, it was the sequel. It was like it was in a trilogy, and the second one, he was mm. like, "Oh, all that Batmaning I did last movie messed my leg up. I, yeah, I need this like extra leg harness thing oh, to, to yeah. prevent me from just losing my kneecaps because no human should be doing these things." And I, <laughs> and I just really appreciated that little, just like yeah, they acknowledged it. Thank goodness. So I just want Armin to be like, man, my elbow's hurt or something. You know, I just want him to (laughs) show some sort of limitation. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it is crazy just to think that, like, how much time he's put in in the course of things, you know, because Mm -hmm. I thought, like, like, because he's, like, been a judge a really long time, and he spent all this time as a rebel, like, way before then and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's just a long time frame for this character Mm -hmm. is what I want to say.
1: Right. Um, actually, I, what, one thing – there was a film that I liked that takes this kind of trope, and that was um, the Taken films. They, oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that Cause was those inter- are all
0: – because those are all about, like, the backstory of, like, who Liam Neeson used to be and stuff like that. He's got got a certain set of skills, all <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right, right.
1: But I, I do remember I always like the finale of those films where he has to fight a guy who's, like, pretty much his equal – uh mm-hmm. um it's. i think it's that immediate badassery that he just defeats any human that shows up any mutant any dinosaur yeah. he just has the answer for it so I just, I just want him to struggle a little bit more in some of these uh interactions it's
0: true well i mean i guess like yeah i i again i agree although i do think like last time he sort of saw like even when like when he went up against that like crime boss guy mm-hmm. like even when he won <laughs> He's still lost right. because the bad guy like killed his killed his girlfriend right. or whatever, right?
1: You know? But no, that. But I still took that as like fridging. It was just like we need that yeah, for Armitage yeah. to be Absolutely. more peppered. Like okay, but that's uh, it. I'm still I'm still enjoying it. Still enjoying the ride. Uh, but yeah, I, I yeah, always think, I think those things. Fun.
0: Yeah, you can. I mean, yeah, you can see the see the wires a little bit with Armitage. You <laughs> kind of know your cop tropes or whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> But hey, speaking of ladies in peril, Eli, hmm. it's space. <laughs> it's Story 5 Anderson's Side of Vision.
1: Nice. This one had me uh, hooked while I was reading it.
0: Yeah, so. no, this, this was a fun one mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Kev Walker, letting robot Steve Potter. All right. Read a mysterious sight in the head on Mars. Um, and we just found out that a soldier judge is actually ex assassin Orlok. It seems he and his cronies came to Mars to escape notice. And Orlok, of course, reestablishes himself as evil by reminding us that when he killed that guy that was trying to kill Anderson earlier, he killed his own guy. So, you know, again, you know, he's bad because he kills his own guys. He knocks out Anderson, takes her oxygen pills, and moves deeper into the facility. I think that's also another
1: reason you know he's bad, because he doesn't just kill her. He's like, ha-ha, evil scheme, that'll be the slow death. That's
0: right, yeah, I'll ruthlessly kill you over a long period of time. That's how I roll, (laughs) that kind of
2: stuff.
0: (laughs) At the same time, the researcher, Reverend X, is also making his way through the facility. He finds a vast chamber he thinks he can hide in, but instead just gets speared by another booby trap, which is tough. But I love the force of these spears, the boot, like they just hit you and you just go flying in that direction Mm -hmm. with it. I think that's really – like. Walker does a really good job of capturing, like, the vis- the visceralness mm-hmm. of, the, of a body being moved like
1: that. I, don't right. know, I think it's neat. I also felt bad for this guy because he was just like, hey, All God, right? give me a sign. And the door's open. He's like, yeah, thanks, God. And then immediately a spear takes him out.
0: So, <laughs> Don't get complacent. Right.
1: Exactly. I help those help themselves. Meanwhile, Yeah.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, that caveman dude we saw last episode is walking around and finds Adam, the cyber monkey, and the two become fast friends. You know, they're pretty close to the evolutionary <laughs> chart, I guess. Back with the Reverend, Orlock appears um, um, before the Reverend, but just kind of finishes him off. Anderson wakes up and finds the monkey and the ape man and then continues after Orlock, who we've seen has just found some kind of glowing light on a spike. The primate trio, that's Anderson, the ape man, and the monkey, follow after him, and Anderson reads Orlok's mind. He thinks the globe is a techno grail, but Anderson realizes it's a teleportation device. As Orlok touches it, it's rigged to bring back its masters, and suddenly a pair of tall, glowing figures appear. Anderson tries to get Orlok to smash the sphere. But is stopped by one of the figures, this giant white alien being with all these little antenna doodads coming out of its, like, skeletal body. Mm. Very um, gray-like, if you know Mm. your aliens. Oh, yeah. I do know my aliens. All right. Mm -hmm. And they demand to know if they're still worshipped. And Anderson says, ah, it's not really a worshipping kind of world anymore as Orlok goes full atheist, Mm -hmm. but they both get zapped with pink lightning and the aliens discuss their next step, their next steps. Anderson tells us this whole place was a test to see if humans would persevere through the traps and the death to find the aliens. In doing so, Orlok has called the gods back to check on their creation and write any imperfections, the ancient machines, or write the imperfections with ancient machines of incredible power. And suddenly Anderson just sees all the history of whatever life and humanity in her mind. And I should say that pretty much all of this, Eli is cribbed from, um, from this guy. Hold on. Hold on. It's all cribbed from this guy. Yeah. It's all cribbed from sort of, actually not this one guy from these two guys, I guess. Um, Eric Von Daniken and um, Zechariah Sitchin. Although I think Sitchin's the main guy. But these two two dudes are like sort of the source material of a lot of ancient aliens stuff. Mm -hmm. If you've ever like seen references to that History Channel show or whatever, the idea that like our ancient concept of gods – Mm-hmm. Are um, actually aliens that came oh. to visit primitive man thousands of years ago. Basically, yeah. it,
1: it is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's actually. fun, right?
0: You know, it's not realistic. I right. can't, I can't <laughs> stress enough right. that like I wouldn't put a it in history of books. this Stuff. If you <laughs> kind of know things about science, it falls apart very quickly. Right, you know? <laughs> right. So, almost, it is, it, it is fun. I don't know.
1: It's almost like if someone, um, you know, they read the Bible. And then they read a sci-fi alien novel and they were like, wait a minute. What if this stuff
0: or, and the same thing with like, if you are like reading like the Epic of Gilgamesh or Mm. ancient Greek mythology and that kind of stuff as well, you know,
1: it's so easy to just be like, what if gods were aliens? It's, it's clear. Well, what's the difference?
0: Why not? You know, (laughs) I guess. But so yeah. So the history, um, we see a bunch of, uh, anunnaki aliens setting up base on Mars to create a slave race of intelligent primates to mine the gold they need to restore their civilization eventually sort of accidentally those smart apes become humanity essentially Um, and I don't know I always like I've heard this theory a couple of times the fact that it's sort of just gold and not some sort of weird like future like unobtainium or something like mm. that seems a little lame to me. I guess right. Yeah, oh. old's weak. Right. <laughs> but so the Anunnaki are upset that humanity has become intelligent but remained savage and violence, led by emotion and not reason. They mentioned that they've come back a couple times to destroy humanity. They took out Atlantis, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lemuria. And that's a real like Star Trek rule of threes there, oh. Eli. Where, like. You know, the, the Star Trek rule of threes is like, oh, he's one of the great composers like Bach, Beethoven or Thor, Gzok, the Ick. gruesome or something Ick. like that. And this yeah. is like, you know, two sort of fictional, um, like mystic cities, Atlantis and Lemuria, and then mixing in Sodom and Gomorrah, which most people have heard of from right, the right. Bible. You know, they say they've culled humanity many times before. Now they must do again Um and in a sort of, I'd say, a kind of cheating series of identical portraits of Anderson and Orlock, like this is very much the same two images over and over again, mm-hmm. you know. But we see the two judges recall their stolen childhoods. You know, we go over again Anderson's abuse by her father, her guilt over killing him, and then these physically and mentally brutal indoctrination of the Justice Department. Then orlock about how he was given over the state at an early age and forced to literally fight for survival in a gulag he's got like a very um whatever you know <laughs> they sent a hundred of us out with only food for ten i became a wolf <laughs> preying on men right, right kind of stuff both were taught the credo my city right or wrong and killed to enforce that belief both seem to feel grief about what they've done but it's too little too late for the Anunnaki. Like, oh, you feel bad now, huh? should have felt bad a thousand years ago, you jerks. <laughs> they compare humanity to Adam the talking monkey. Basically, like, hey, if you made a bunch of talking monkeys and they started killing everybody, you do something about it too, right? right? Well, it's hard to disagree, I guess. <laughs> and they say humanity is out of control, spreading corruption and evil across the galaxy, but no more humanity will be hunted down and destroyed, starting with the planet Earth. Oh, actually, start with Mars, Eli. I'm not going to lie to you about that.
1: You don't actually start with it. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I, was like, I must have missed that part.
0: <laughs> Anna, come <laughs> on. What are you guys doing? <laughs> outside the face of Mars, and I can't stress enough that I love that this whole thing's taken place inside the face of Mars, right. Eli. It's it a great location. <laughs> but Outside the face of the judge forces her plant explosives to try to get inside as Anderson tries to argue her, her humanity with aliens. And she's like, hey, we make mis- – like, you know, we make mistakes. We're human just like you And the Anunnaki. Like, we aren't human, mm-hmm. lady. You guys are weird mm-hmm. and gross. We mm-hmm. don't like you. Don't compare us to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like that – the fact that you're just – that you're merely human is part of the problem, mm-hmm. frankly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Orlock wonders if they'll let the two of them become the new Adam and Eve. Don't flatter yourself, buddy. Um, <laughs> and outs and outside the judges prepare to blow the explosives. But then a light starts to erupt from the face of Mars. Like ABC, like big, like lightning bolts coming out of its eyes and mouth and stuff enveloping the judges near the face and then spreading out across Mars. It, cuts through Anderson like she's made of smoke, the death scream of the million people living at the Eden base as they die as one. And we see images now, Anderson grimacing in pain over the wreckage of Eden. She's powerless before this destruction, and she wonders if this is what her friend, the empath Corey felt before she killed herself. We see Orlok and the ape man also respond to the effects of the aliens. And then Orlok whispers to Anderson, saying that there must be something they can do to stop these jerks. And even though she's suspended in air through telepathy or something, Anderson notices that Adam, the monkey, is free, and psychically calls out to him. He needs Adam's help, but first he asks, like, "Hey, you know, if would would there really be something that would require that where you where you would kill like smart monkeys like me?" <laughs> Anderson says she wouldn't kill him. She wouldn't kill anything. But I'll mention that that, that's not a full answer, honestly. I don't know if I would take that to the bank. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Adam does agree to help. He grabs Anderson's lipstick, which you might recall was the only item that she kept when they made her drop all of her weapons at the Eden checkpoint. But this lipstick itself is full of stum gas. (laughs) Anderson, uh, meanwhile, recognized the truth. Hey, these guys aren't actually gods. They're just regular folks who had a million more years to get their act together compared to, in comparison to us. That's not fair. Come on. <laughs> you guys are jerks. <laughs> she has Adam break the vial of stum, stum gas at the feet of the aliens. It does nothing. Oh, no. And, and they, they aren't are very pleased. They don't even have, have noses. Blasted.
1: What? They don't even have noses. What was she even yeah. thinking?
0: poor planning you know (laughs) gotta think this stuff through but yeah it has no effect they blast adam and uh chastise anderson like oh yeah you would sully a lesser race a a, a lesser species with your violent ways humans you guys are ridiculous (laughs) um they prepare to finish off anderson and orlock but and then take out earth when suddenly that caveman guy shows up, he grabs a nearby rod or something that's just sort of hanging out there, I guess, and starts beating the shit out of these aliens.
2: <laughs>
0: they weren't expecting a low-tech approach, and he just kind of nakedly bashes their brains in with his primitive strength. He then cradles his friend Adam's body in his arms as Orlock and Anderson tumble to the floor, free of alien control. Anderson comforts the the ape man as Orlok taunts the aliens and shoots one in the face when it does that sort of, you know, horror movie thing where it comes back up and it's still alive. He's like, ah, shoots in the (laughs) face. Um, The dying alien then falls back onto a console, triggering a self-destruct mechanism as you do. The uh, The whole place starts to explode, but the caveman stays behind and is enveloped in fire as Anderson and Orlock just barely manage to, as- to stumble out of the exploding face as it blows up behind them. Again, not looking back at it. Got to right. be cool. Later, in the Hall of Justice in Mega City One, Magruder and Dread listen to Anderson's audio report. She doesn't know when or if the aliens will return, but she's seen too much to keep being a judge, and she resigns. Proper cop on the edge stuff, Eli. She also returned her badge and gun when she sent this mm. message. I appreciate it. Right. Um, and we learned that Orlock escaped and is back on the loose. Of course. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Her report ends with a personal message from Dredd saying that, you know, I'll explain what happens someday if you don't arrest me first. And then she, like, blows him a kiss and says, like, ciao, Joe. Mm. <laughs> Back on Mars, Anderson doesn't know where she's going, but she can't go back to Earth. and She can't stay here on Mars. She wants to reclaim her lost humanity. And luckily, there's a big galaxy to go do it in. So let's get star traveling. And that's sort of where we leave it here. Honestly, we'll get a brief epilogue to this story in our next episode. And then Anderson will be back for real for some star adventures in spring of 1994. So spring of next year. Nice. And that's the other story. What what do you think, Eli? Uh, I really like that one. Um,
1: I kept uh, coming to the end of the books and uh, being like, oh, no, is that it? Where's the next one? So I kept being like, uh, 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 I really enjoyed that story. I I think it was, you know, I do like, I always love that mythos. I love the aliens starting humanity and being gods. But, yeah, that's um, fun,
0: the ancient alien stuff, for sure.
1: But yeah, I also really love seeing what type of psychological tor- torment they can put Anderson into. Like, It's always <laughs> like, all right, we want you to kill. Right, all right, There's this Christian guy who just thinks everyone should be happy. We need you to kill him. And then like, all right, now we need you to uh, deal with the sins of all of humanity throughout time and argue right. with these aliens about their validity. So I... Uh, <laughs> I always love seeing whatever Anderson has to deal with this time.
0: Um, totally. And, yeah. Listen, anyway, whatever lengths you have to take to make Anderson cry. I appreciate it. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's very much the focus of what we're doing here. Right. Like this Anderson project in the magazine, you know, right. But, uh, but I yeah. can say also, oh, sorry, go ahead, please.
1: Oh, I was going to say, um, I also, uh, I said me connecting with Anderson the most. Um, I like her getting more and more responsibility, more and more baggage. Because it just makes, mm-hmm. like, what's she going to do next now that I know, like, she's been dealing with all this crap.
0: Totally. And I should mention just for the record that this story was called uh, Childhood's End, which is also the name of a famous uh, science fiction novel mm-hmm. by uh, Arthur C. Clarke, who also did, like, 2001 and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. I, like this story isn't very similar to childhood's end which is sort of a multi-generational story about a peaceful alien invasion and stuff like that mm-hmm. but um and, and like I said does owe a lot more to uh Zechariah Sitchin's work just with young, mm-hmm. like that that Anunnaki like calling the aliens Anunnaki and uplifting them to mine gold is very mm-hmm. much sort of the the key sets of his um of his ancient alien mythology specifically right that's fun. I don't know. Listen, <laughs> I know some things. I got to share them, right? You know, yeah. or, or else why even bother? You know, absolutely. That's what we're yeah, here. so. So with that kind of high point, let's just uh, finish up with some one-off stories here. <laughs> Eli, have some fun. Starting with story six, Mega City One. Scripter about Sy Spencer, art about John Richardson, lettering about Gordon Robson. This is sort of a random tale of Mega City One, I suppose. It's called uh, Someone to Watch Over Me." And in a mega City One apartment, a woman tells a man, Smith, to go to his meeting. And while he's suspicious of her, he ends up going. He's watching something that looks like The Simpsons as well on TV. That was kind of fun. But uh, as he walks, he gets grabbed on by the shoulder by a man. And they both know each other but seem to be trying to hide where they're going but are in fact going to the same place, which is a support group for paranoid people. Later, we see the men of the group arguing about the various ways that they're being watched or people are against them or something like that until the group leader finishes the session and makes them repeat the mantra. No one is out to get us. Nobody hates us. We're not paranoid. (laughs) Meanwhile, Smith's wife is leaving the smokatorium and she bumps into a weirdo with a power mullet who gives her a flower. And it's the same kind of flower as in the lapel of the man Smith met on the way to the paranoia meeting. She's late getting home and Smith sees the flower on her like coat and just starts having a crazy paranoid fantasy about his wife cheating on him with a member of the group and stuff like that. Oh, it's bad times. Um, and then at the next paranoia meeting, Smith draws a gun on the flower guy who responds by also pulling a gun on another member of the group and basically just suddenly everybody's pulling guns and accusing the other of being out to get them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And as always happens in these situations, Eli, these drawn guns then lead to a firefight. Right. <laughs> um in the end, Dread bursts into the uh, into the uh, into the group room to find everybody dead except for the group leader. And when he sort of says like, "It's got I don't know what happened," Dread arrests him because he's been doing all this stuff, including he was the weirdo with the power mullet that gave Smith's wife the flower. He's just been doing all this stuff to make the paranoid group members feel more paranoid so they would keep paying fees to go to this meeting and stuff like that. Oh, he's been manipulating them the whole time. (laughs) And now he's under arrest and he wonders how the judges knew all this. And apparently they've been watching everybody involved in this situation for quite some (laughs) time. So they actually were right to be paranoid. Someone was watching them, like at two levels.
1: I love that twist. Uh, we've been watching you guys. All we're, we're surveying everything. Like,
0: yeah, I thought that was funny. Just uh, not only was the was the doctor doing like making them feel paranoid, but then they were also just being sort of watched by the Justice Department anyway. Right, you right. know, yeah. And so let's finish up strong, Eli. Talking, I guess. Hey, listen, that psychiatrist guy was doing one kind of mind control, but. A more specific kind of mind control could be seen in Story 7, Heavy Metal Dread. Skipper by John Smith, art robot John Hickleton, letter robot Keith Page, or coloring robot Keith Page, letter robot Gordon Robson. We see a woman in what today I would call like a VR helmet, basically, describing a scene as a bunch of older ladies cheer her on. We see a man wake up in a bed to see... Some kind of murder rape, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. The murder rape attacks the man and we see his eyes and mouth being sewn shut. And there's just a lot of blood. Later dredge on the scene of the murder and sees that this man was killed and pretty clearly mutilated and a box with a note saying, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil was placed in his chest cavity where his heart should be. Whoa, that's metal. Um, And it seems like all this is taking place the Dario Argento block who was a film director known for his uh, influential work in horror movies, just FYI. Um, Eli. Hmm. Um, So then we go to a meeting of these ladies and we learn that they're They've got remote-control murder apes that they're going to use to take down the city's peddlers of rudeness and smuts. I guess. <laughs> like, they've just – they've got a bunch of terrifying lobotomized primates. Right. And using them, the Legion of Common Decency cleanup campaign will begin. <laughs> and we learn that the first victim, that guy who was killed earlier and apparently also had his ears cut off – was co- was a cult horror writer deeply despised by the decent folks of Mega City One. <laughs> Quite a few groups have apparently claimed responsibility for the murder. The judges are just running them all in and interrogating them. We indeed see an older woman under the hot lights and wicked tools of judge interrogation, giving up the goods. It seems they've the judges now actually know the details of the plan down to all the mentally controlled chimps and all this kind of stuff. But they don't know where to find them. And that's going to be the hard part. But Dread isn't worried. They'll turn up eventually. And when they do, Dread's going to be first in line to take them down. And that's a rare cliffhanger, heavy metal Dread. We'll continue this one next episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it was still gross, you know. It's, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's this it's this sort of John Hanklinton stuff. Like, I feel like we've, we've, we've come to expect these more gruesome stories and stuff yeah. like that from him. So yeah. I'd say this one was sort of, you know, what you'd expect I yeah.
1: guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's um, uh, I've noticed that he tends to be a little bit more tame in like continuing stories like longer ones. It's like
2: mm.
1: is a little bit more tame. But when it's just like, here's this one event, let's just give this guy extra spines. You know, they just do just Yeah, do
0: Maybe it feels like he's got more more time to sort of ladle it out as mm-hmm. uh, as the story progresses right. or something like that, right. you know.
1: But yeah, but yeah, these like, old ladies mm-hmm. do look terrifying, you know. They uh, uh, these these weird chimp things are gross. Yeah, And yeah. Yeah, the chimps with-
0: are gross. All these ladies have like he's giving them really weird like varicose veins on right. their legs. I feel like yes. they kind of.
1: Which Not I, cool. I, like, I, I, oddly enough, have to give them like, wow, good job. Like I wouldn't have thought to even make that gross. But yeah, that's, you nailed it.
0: No, you all got real weird legs
1: for some reason. Yeah. It's a lot. You've got a gift. I'm <laughs> learning to like appreciate it, but I still, uh, yeah, w- w- I, w- I wouldn't hang up any of it in my house. Is the, that's no, the...
0: yes, exactly. You'd be, you'd be starting a conversation with people mm-hmm. if you did, for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess with that, Eli, we've finished our stories for this section of the Judge Shred magazine, and I must know from you what are your top and bottom stories.
1: Well, uh luckily um uh Anderson's story was an easy top for me. I really liked nice. the story as well as the artwork. I was digging all that. Um yeah, I just wanna I just wanna know more about Anderson. Tell me more, Anderson. What's going on with hey. you?
0: We'll, we'll get more of her. so right. definitely, you know, it's, it, it's definitely coming for um,
1: sure. I want to give um, eh, I just, I guess, it's as an aside. I really like the uh, uh, artwork artist uh, for Armitage, um, Charles uh, Adlard. Adlard. Yeah. Um, he did a lot of stuff with like explosions and smoke this these last couple uh, chapters, and that's mm-hmm. it. I, I love my uh, black and white contrast and love that legibility. You can't stress it enough.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think it's a, it's an interesting contrast between Cal Have and, 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 Armitage this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think both with the zombies and the violence, you're also seeing a lot of like, what would make Adlard so famous for, uh, for the walking dead comics, which mm-hmm. he's done, which yeah. he is the uh, main artist for. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Also he used a lot
1: of, um, dry brush for the smoke, which I really appreciate just using different mm-hmm. materials. Um, but yeah, um, so let's see. I, I'd have to put uh, on bottom. Hmm. I think because it, it's either Britsit Brute or um, Calhab Justice. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm worried. I'm just leaning too hard on like particular categories. Like, um, for example, Calhab Justice is just that lack of legibility is a Mm-hmm. very very big issue for me as an artist so and i'm like yeah for sure <laughs> so i don't know if i'm just being too hard on it but then yeah. also uh brits it brute like uh the art felt flat and the story was um i just didn't really grab me like maybe it's just mm-hmm. cause the characters are also fairly flat It was just like i'm a big guy i punch stuff well here's your mission i'm a kid i'm cute and then like all right that's
0: Oh, uh, what a wacky, what a wacky odd
1: couple. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, so, if I have, uh, I, I, I can't forgive the lack of legibility from CalHab Justice. So, I'm going to have to put that on bottom and, uh, you know, uh, send a letter, I guess. I don't know what to do about it, but.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, definitely uh, 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 notify your representatives. Right. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think for me, um,. I will definitely join you with Anderson as my top. I like that story a lot. Like gave me a chance to talk about my ancient alien thing, which, <laughs> which, which you know I like. Waiting to bust that out. Oh man, I I know so many things and they're all bad. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely I like that story a lot. And again, yeah, yeah, opportunities to make Anderson cry and things like that. <laughs> I feel you know I'm in favor of it for sure. Um, for my bottom. I was. I also didn't really care for Cal have Justice. Like, it is a hard comic to read. I'd say just to sort of figure out exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think in the end, I might go with uh, Brit's hit Brute for this one, mm-hmm. just because I really. I also didn't really like the uh, like the muddy colors of that. Also made mm-hmm. it hard to figure out what was going on in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And like the like tough guy with a kid. Plot is so tr—it feels so like trite and overdone to me. Yeah, that I just like, I just gotta like be like, no, this is no good. Like right. we gotta do better than this, guys. So. Right. Yeah, at least put a little
1: something on it. You gotta do, make it a dog or something. Make it a make it like a little cat. I
0: don't, I don't know. know about <laughs> that, but like, it's just sort of, it's just so Tron. I don't even know how you'd fix it. Honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like. I just don't like that that plot line. You know, whenever it happens, I'm like, "Oh, okay, this is I can skip this." You know, this is not <laughs> Right, <I'm> right. <laughs> I don't skip it when it's in when it's in the when it's for the podcast. But like, you know, it means that I think the last version of this there was like a movie with like Dave Bautista where he had to take care of a kid. And it's like, all right, like, I know, th- I know every beat of this movie. I'm just going to skip it. You know, like I know exactly what's going to happen. Right.
1: What is it? Um, There was a, a video game and a movie. Um, I believe it was The Last of Us was a mm-hmm. video game. They did a good twist on it where it was like, yeah, this girl in humanity. And then the guy like chose the girl over humanity. They're like, well, Grace. I'm keeping her. This is, this is F my mission. I thought that was cool. Yeah, no.
0: yeah i'm not saying that that it can't be a cool trope or that if you do something with it like you know it can't be interesting Mm -hmm. i I guess it can but
1: you gotta yeah you gotta do something yeah
0: but but then that's something that like is hailed as a big deal Mm -hmm. as opposed to like yeah just another action movie right you know like the action movie every action hero, at every action star has to make at least one of you know right
1: yeah and i think um uh, for anybody who doesn't play video games, if you watch Logan, they pretty much follow mm. that same story, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I
0: think would say out- Logan th- is a good version of it as well. You right. know? Like I don't, you're 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 bringing up these exceptions that have right. <laughs> the rule.
1: That, you know? but that's what I mean. I wanted to give them some examples of like ways that you totally. maybe make it make it work. Um. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well played, for sure. <laughs> Uh but I, I only you know, know, reasonable. I don't appreciate
1: it. I only know those two. Uh, other other <laughs> than those two. Everything's the same, right?
0: Totally. No, fair enough. Absolutely. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big meg One on iTunes, stitch the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMeg1.com. Feel free to contact us big meg1 at gmail.com in 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One with one written out, and you'll find us. And feel free to drop us a rating or review wherever you listen to us or suggest us to somebody who's looking for a cool podcast. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham and your friends in the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. And there you can support the show and get a ton of excellent rewards. Come back next time as Hershey and Treasure Steel team up. Chopper returns. We'll check in on Anderson Head to Hondo to meet Shimura, and at last, head to the Olympics with the taxidermists. <laughs> I'm so excited for the taxidermists. Like. Yeah, you gave you me a lot of fun stuff. I'm Connor Deruly, like, and we are Big Bang One Dragons.